0: Well, you wake, huh? Hope so, so. Hey, I just want you to know right off the bat, I love you. I really do. But tomorrow night, I'm a New York Giants fan as they take on the Detroit Lions. Where's the love in return, people? Honestly. Well, when we get to heaven, we'll see who God's team is, anyways. Hey, we're we're starting a brand new series on the power of purpose. Church on Purpose, and uh, we're going to be answering one of the biggest questions that we need to answer in today's day and in East Bay Calvary Church, and that is, what is our purpose? How do we know when we're doing it? How do we know when we've been successful? And these are all things we're going to be talking about over this whole next series, which is going to take us from now right up until December, and then when we get into December, we get in some real fun as we uh, get close to Christmas, and always a neat time. I want to haunt your mind this morning with some of the most simple yet most challenging questions today. If you can answer these questions and follow through on them, your life, your marriage, your family, your relationship with God, your connection with church will dramatically change. And here they are. You ready? What's your life's purpose? What's your life's purpose? Do you have one? And some of you may be thinking, well, you know, I, I go to work, I come home, I do some chores, uh, buy what I need, I go to sleep and then I get up and I go to work and I do some chores and I'm not really asking, what do you do? That's the farthest thing from what I'm asking you, what do you do? I'm asking, what is your, what's your purpose? Here's another question that's one to grapple with. What's the purpose of your marriage? Have you thought about that? We're supposed to have a purpose? yeah. Or what's the purpose of <clears throat> having children? I know some of you older people here are like I know the purpose of having children, Grandchildren, right? <laughs> Grandchildren. But really what what's the purpose of? having children because other people did, because obviously your parents did, you know? So here I am having children, what's the purpose? And we find out that knowing and focusing on your true purpose is the difference between success and failure. And here's the important thing to know about purpose, without purpose, and grab this in your mind, without purpose, one can be wildly successful and yet be a complete failure because they were successful at the things that didn't truly matter. Can, can you wrap your brain around that? Without purpose, one can be wildly successful and yet be an utter failure because they're successful at all the things that don't really matter. It would be like scoring a basket in the other team's goal. You scored! But for the other crew, it would would be like driving an hour and realizing you missed your turn and you've been going in the wrong direction all this time. Well, you've been driving, but going the wrong direction. Or worse yet, like the man I visited a number of years ago on his deathbed and he got to the very end of his life and I'm standing there and literally he was within his last hour. Here's what he said. I wish I spent more time with my family and less time in my office. It's a man who was wildly successful at everything that didn't matter. And he got to the very end and he realized it. Successful. We can be successful, but still failures. And ultimately, purpose is the determining factor between success and failure. And today we begin our new series, church on purpose, and the same questions we ask about our lives, our marriage, and our children ring especially true today for our church here in God's church at East Bay Calvary. What's the purpose of church? And purpose is critical for churches, and just to be blunt with you this morning, many churches lack clear purpose. Uh, Have you seen churches that have gone under and just there's an empty building or it's used for something different. Long before uh, churches lose people, they lose purpose. I'm gonna gonna tell you, there's a bunch of churches around. I don't know, if you just drive around, you're gonna see churches that have gone under, they're no longer functioning as a church and they're functioning as something else. Have you seen churches like that around here? I've seen so many in my travels and there's a whole bunch from where I came from. I'm gonna tell you a few of them. There is a church in... um, Shenango Forks is probably about 30 miles south of where I was uh, living at the time. And the church went under, some of you ladies are going to absolutely love this and shame on you for doing that, by the way. Um, it, it's now a scrapbooking place. It's not funny. <laughs> it's, yeah, scrapbooking. There was, there was a church about two miles from where uh, our home was that they converted into um, four different apartments. Even worse than that, there was a church about 20 miles from where we were living that went under, and it, it, was, um, it was now a bar called Divine Times. Gave a whole new meaning to the term spirits, you know. Um, in Troy, New York, about two hours from where I was, it turned into a Phi Sigma Kappa fraternity house. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, there was a church I saw that was now a laser tag amusement park. And then there was one um, in Pennsylvania and and my wife and I loved a vacation in Lancaster and there's this one church that we came back to these back roads and it was, I couldn't believe it, converted into a haunted house. And I got thinking if the organ is still in there, I I was scared to death sometimes when I would walk out of my church before with an organ. I'd be working late at night, like 10.30, and I'm thinking, if that organ starts playing, I am flying out of here, you know? Shalersville, Ohio is an old Baptist church that was turned into South River Vineyard, a winery. If you visit them, they ask only one thing of you. Please don't ask if their production process involves turning water into wine. They say that one's getting really old. And here's the worst one of all. Atlanta, Georgia, the empty Collins Spring Baptist Church in Atlanta needed someone to save it from the vandals and the wrecking ball and in step the Atlanta Free Thought Society, an organization of atheists that uses the building as a part of its mission to provide a community for non-theists in the metro Atlanta area through educational advocacy and social activities. A church now, a church for atheists. And long before churches lose their people, churches lose their purpose. There was a Congregationalist church I'm sorry, University Christian Church in nineteen sixty three they they went under and on the door of their church, they said, Gone out of business, didn't know what our business was. While this series is important for us, this issue of purpose is critical for everything, but especially for our church. And it's why we're stepping into this over these next number of weeks. So I invite you, go ahead, grab your Bible, your phone, your iPad, your iPod, whatever it is, and go with me to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah in chapter one. Nehemiah chapter one is um, earlier on in your Old Testament toward the left. If you find the book of Ezra, you're getting real close. Nehemiah chapter one. And let me just tell you, as you turn there, our elder crew met yesterday, and we're going through this issue of purpose. What's the purpose of the church? What's our mission? What are we here to accomplish together? What's our vision then based upon that? When we know our mission, how are we going to accomplish it? And so we met yesterday, and we're talking about this, and we're praying about this, and we realize that this doesn't belong merely in the boardroom This belongs in the big room. This is stuff we all need to deal with together and talk about together. This is a process that we work through as a church family together. So we wanna develop a clear and compelling mission and vision for East Bay Calvary and we want there to be passion. We want there to be focus and we wanna be able to take our time and our resources and hone in on why does God have us here in Traverse City, Michigan. So here you are in the book of Nehemiah and I wanna read a few verses of scripture together and then we're gonna jump right into it. So why don't you stand with me if you would and we're looking at Nehemiah chapter one and we're just gonna, um, as we look at this, I'm just gonna read down verses one to four. So just follow along if you would. I'm gonna read verses one to four in Nehemiah chapter one and here's what it says. In the uh, the words of Nehemiah, Son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev. And if you're wondering, you've never heard of the month of Kislev. That's this is the Persian calendar. Okay, that's why this may not seem familiar to you. We'll talk about it in a minute. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Oh, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know what, why don't I just finish up the chapter? Because here's his prayer. I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you today and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They're your servants. They're your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. And Father, we've heard the prayer of Nehemiah. Now here's our prayer. Hear us, O God. Help us to be a church on purpose, ignited with passion toward the very things that you're passionate about. And God, as a unified force, take us to make a massive, massive difference in this region, in this area, and even globally, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Speaking globally, praise God for our Russia crew. I was able to speak with them this week by phone, and they are doing exceedingly well. They are ahead of schedule and are so excited about how God is using them. And you can see some pictures of all that they're doing on our church Facebook page. And I mentioned to them as I talked to them on the phone, I was going to do a shout out. In this message, because they're going to listen to this on Tuesday when it pops up online, and uh, they need to know we love them and that we're behind them. So praise God for all that they're doing. <coughs> There's a person in the Bible <coughs> who had everything it took to do exactly what God had for him, and his name was Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, is going to introduce to us the importance of purpose in ministry. And let me just tell you a couple things about him really quickly. Um, Nehemiah was an Israelite. He was from Judah. He's about 140 years removed from when Jerusalem was actually overtaken. And uh, Jerusalem was overtaken by a familiar king, Nebuchadnezzar, if that name sounds familiar to you. And when Nebuchadnezzar went in there, he not only just ransacked all of Jerusalem, He pulverized the walls that were there to protect it. He took the people captive, and many of them became his servants, four of which may be names that are familiar to you. Daniel. Then there were three guys that went in a fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and uh, some of you remember, Abednego. Yeah. And so... That was all under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. This is about 140 years before Nehemiah steps on the scene. And so here's Nehemiah still in this region, but now Persia is the governing country at this specific time. Jerusalem is no better off now than what they were 140 years ago. Their walls are depleted, they're down. And so Nehemiah ends up being a cupbearer for the king But he knew this isn't why God has me here. I'm not here to be a cupbearer for the rest of my life. God had something bigger for him, a purpose that would epically change the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And here's what it is. I want you to see for a moment, verses one through three, lessons that Nehemiah was working through and lessons for us. And if you have your study guide this morning, go ahead and pull that out and fill out these along with us. I want you to see that in order to have this power of purpose, number one, we need to know our purpose. We need to know our purpose. And look at verse three, if you would with me. They said to me, thank you so much. Here I thought I was going to have to stop after 45 minutes. (laughs) Thank you so much, Pam. Ah, Reset that clock. Here we go. (laughs) We need to know our purpose. We need to know our purpose. Verse 3. Here's where Nehemiah came face to face with his purpose. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And verse four, when I heard these things, I sat down, I wept, I wept. The walls are broken down and burned. I don't know if this resonates with you because we don't deal with walls So much. Babylon did a number on the people of Judah over a century before, and the big deal about the wall, you can imagine this, the wall kept people out. There were individuals that would come, they would want to overtake Jerusalem, the wall kept them out. It also allowed people, when, when people were coming to overtake them, it allowed the people of Jerusalem to be able to get up on the backside of the wall and launch an offensive, toward the people that were coming to overtake them. So there was a dual purpose to this wall and they were in no way able to protect themselves. And so the text mentions and history mentions over and over and over, Jerusalem was being ransacked and they were being taken advantage of by all of these neighboring nations and looted. And there was nothing that they could do to overcome this. And so he mentions This word comes back and they're saying they are in great trouble and disgrace. It's not only that they're being looted, God's city is being made a mockery of. And in this very moment, Nehemiah comes face to face with his God-given purpose. I'm here to make a difference. His purpose was clear, it was compelling as we're gonna see in a moment. It was even different from his daily occupation. I'm here to make a difference. And Nehemiah, his purpose was, I'm gonna go back to Jerusalem and I want to help rebuild this wall so that my people can be safe so they're no longer drugged through disgrace. So I stop for a moment and I ask you, what's our purpose? Just think about it in your mind. What's our purpose at East Bay Calvary Church? I'm not asking, what do we do? I know what our purpose is. We come together on Sunday morning. We sing. What's our purpose? Why do we do what we do? Here's an older guy. His name is uh, John Gardner. He founded what he calls um, Common Cause. and, And He talks about an older man who asked this question of just about every new acquaintance he fell in conversation with. Here's what he'd ask him. He'd say, what have you done that you believe in? That was this question people. Hey, what have you done that you believe in? It was an unsettling question because people build their self-esteem around what they do or the wealth that they have or their job title and, and not that the old guy was a fierce interrogator, but he, said, he actually said, I don't even care how they answer me. I just would ask him, <clears throat> what, what do you do that you believe in? He said, I want to put the thought in their mind. They should live their lives in such a way that they have a good answer. Not a good answer for me, but for themselves, that is what most important to them. And I asked this morning, what do we do that we believe in, what really is our purpose. We know the purpose of sports, right? You take an orange ball and you stick it in a hole more times than the other team. It's coming up now, you need to get that puck in that net more times than the other team. Or if you're in track, I need to go across that line before all these other people around me. But what's the purpose of what we're doing here? This is what this series is all about. And some of you are going to say, boy, I'm disappointed this morning because I'm not giving you our purpose today. We've already taken the offering, so it's too late to get your money back. On this one, I'm not going to tell you the purpose. That's next week. I just want us to realize why this is so important. And Billy Sunday has a quote, and if you got a little space on there, I want to give it to you. I want you to write it in if you would. This is so important. Billy Sunday was a famous baseball player, also evangelist, and here's what he said. He said, more men fail... Through a lack of purpose, not a lack of talent. More men fail through a lack of purpose, not a lack of talent. And friends, if we are going to be successful at what matters most, at the things God has for us, we need to know our If you want to know what that is, next week, gang, same time, same place, same station. We're going to jump right into it, right in the deep end. We're going to work through it together. We need to know our purpose. That's number one. Here's number two. Our purpose must be backed by passion. Our purpose must be backed by passion. You see it in verse four. When I heard these things, you know what the big word's? When I heard these things, I sat down. What did he do? He he wept, he cried. Then it continues on, I mourned. He did something that many of us are not even familiar with. He fasted. Like this got him so much. He said, I don't even care about food. I don't care about my daily needs. I care about what's going on back home. I care about those walls. I care about my people. And so his purpose was backed with passion. And and get a grip on it. Here's the reality this is 140 years had passed since the walls have been down. A lot of people were like, hey, that's the way it is. The walls are down. There's nothing we can do about it. We don't have the money, we don't have the resources. I don't have an army of people that can build them. Just forget about it and accept it and go on. And Nehemiah said, I am not accepting it. This is unacceptable. And there was this intense passion that was welling up inside of him. And it brings us to this reality that contentment with the status quo kills purpose. Contentment with the status quo kills purpose. As long as we're content with the status quo, we will never discover advancement. If you're content, well, you know, I know my marriage stinks, but hey, it's better than most people, so I'll just leave it as is. You'll never advance. I know things aren't great here, but they're good, so we'll never advance. I know my kids, it's not really going well, but they're not the worst of the worst. And contentment kills advancement. It kills progress and it kills purpose. But passion fuels purpose. If we don't care, we don't do. If we do care, we do. I'm gonna give you a good illustration of that. When I was in... School, I went to this tiny, tiny, tiny Christian school. I was in a class of four, folks. And I was valedictorian. (laughs) I had a 25% chance, you know. And the crazy thing is, I hated certain subjects. And one of them was English. Oh, did I hate English. Mm. If I would, I would have taken it as a second language, you know. (laughs) It was terrible, and, and, and I used to think, what's the big deal about sentence diagramming and writing skill and public speaking? It's not like I'm gonna be writing stuff every week and standing up in front of people and speaking. <laughs> well, here I came to 12th grade, and we were in this education curriculum. It was basically self-study, and I would go through these paces, and it was self-study, and you'd go up, and you'd you know, actually check your own work, and then a supervisor would check it, Well, I had delayed English so much because I'd much rather do everything else. My senior year, I had two years of English to do, two years. And I remember the specific day where I was standing and every bit of it when my supervisor pulled me aside and said, Brian, I just want you to realize, I don't think you're gonna graduate this year. You've got two years of English to do in one year, because I don't think you're going to do it. Now, let me tell you, I didn't care about English. I did care about graduating. I, all of a sudden, was infused with passion. And let me tell you this, no joke, I finished every last bit of my English work six weeks Before school ended, I had nothing else to do. I went home and sat for the last six weeks of school because I got it all done. I didn't care about English. I cared about graduating. I had passion. We got it done. Passion determines progress. If you don't care, you don't do. If you care, you do. So let's walk down through it. What's our purpose? We need to be passionate about our purpose. And suddenly we're beginning to realize, yeah, okay, I see it. There's plenty of times I can be passionate about things, not my purpose. That's why texting and driving do not mix, because the purpose of driving is to get to another location safely. And when we're doing this, we realize the thing I'm excited about and passionate about is actually going to hinder, in potentially a catastrophic way, my purpose at that moment. It's why my wife and I don't let our kids do their homework and watch TV. Guess which one doesn't get done? And it's the whole difference between passion and purpose. And it's why Christians at church can have their theology right and get together and do stuff. But in the end, do we really accomplish our purpose and its potential that our passion is not synced with the very most important things God has for us? Because when it comes to our purpose and to our passion, Passion seems to win out every time and that's why we need to take our purpose and we need to take passion and they need to come together. Here's number three. Passion must be supported with prayer. I love this about Nehemiah. Here he knew his purpose. I need to go back there and I need to rebuild those walls. Those walls that have been torn down. I've got to do this thing. He had passion about it And then the text doesn't say, so he went and rebuilt the wall. Doesn't say that. Notice what he does. I mourned, I fasted, I prayed. Our passion must be supported with prayer. Because folks, when it comes to doing God's work, it's not us grinding our teeth, gutting it out, and we're going to throw it over our shoulders and make this thing happen. This is a divine cooperative where we link arms with God and he utilizes us in his purpose to accomplish the things that he genuinely cares about. And so here we see in Nehemiah, he fasted for several days. He prayed for several months. And he bathed his vision in prayer from start to finish because he knew that purpose isn't enough by itself passion isn't enough by itself we need god we need his presence we need his power we need everything that he is to be in all that we do if this thing is ever ever going to accomplish anything for his glory and so he cranked it out and was totally dependent upon god to make his purpose happen and his passion fruitful and i want i want you to see a couple of things when he prayed he was he was these things these are Right there in your sheet. When he prayed, he was patient. Now, here's where we're gonna find out about these months, these Persian calendar months. You notice there in chapter one, verse one, it says, in the month of Kislev. Notice chapter two, verse one. In the month of Nisan, that's not a vehicle brand from a while back. These are Persian months and, and I want you to realize Kislev is the Persian name for December and Nisan is the Persian month of April. So nearly five months went by when Nehemiah had this purpose fused in him and he was passionate about it, he prayed. Notice nothing got done, but he went to God and he prayed And he prayed for five months, God, I need this. I need this. Your people need this. This is your city of Jerusalem that needs to be turned around. And he did not tire in doing this, in praying and going before the Lord. It tells us a good lesson for us. How many times have you had a purpose? You know what needs to be done. And Man, we need to pray about this and you pray for a day. Then you forget. Or you're in it for a while, but 2 months down the road you're like, man, this is just taking too long. And Nehemiah was not weary. He did not tire in doing what was right. He was patient. He realized that our purpose and our passion needs to be linked with God's timing, and he put it all before God. And I know that we hate waiting. And when we link arms with our purpose and our passion and we entreat God, realize it's not always a get rich quick scheme. Church growth does not always occur overnight. And in fact, we are responsible for doing the things God wants us to do and sowing and watering. He's the one that brings the increase. But we be patient. Then here's the last one I wanna give you. And I love this. When he prayed, he was patient. But this is cool. He asked for the moon. Check this out. I want you to see the story. Remember, he was a cupbearer. Look at chapter two, verse one. I just want to read it for you. It says, in the month of Nisan, so now we're in April, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Remember, he was a cupbearer. When the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Ah, here we go. Before he opened his mouth with what was gonna be requested, notice I love this. He asked me, what is it you want? And he says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Okay, king, just one moment. God help me, here we go, man. And notice the list. if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time and it was years, gang, years. And then I said to him, and if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe travel until I arrive in Judah. I want you to get me there safe. And then may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make me beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, Notice that the gracious hand of my God was on me. The king granted my requests. He said, king, I need time off. It could be years. I need you to get me there safely. I want you to fund the project. And then I'll come back. And he says, and by the gracious hand of God, boom. But you try this. Walk into work tomorrow morning. Your boss says, what's going on? Oh, man. My church really needs to grow. Really? How can I help? Just one moment. I need a couple years off we may do an addition, I'd like you to fund it because God's work has to go forward. Sure. Now you better be here if it actually happens. If we see you out in the water, oh, you're gonna be in trouble. You know, can you imagine this? He asked for the absolute moon. And by the gracious hand of God, the king said, sure, here you go. I'm going to give it all. And that's exactly, Nehemiah went back, and God totally blessed this. The king sent him for years. He had safe passage. He bankrolled the project. He sent army officers and cavalry with him. And they kicked this thing out by God's grace and for his glory. Because when our purposes line up with God, and put this in your heart, when our purposes line up with God, just imagine what he'll do, folks. Just imagine what God will do when my purpose and passion are for the things that are his purpose and passion. Talk about synergy. Talk about God blessing. Just step back and just wait for him to do everything that gives him glory. So I wanna give you some truisms and then we're gonna do something a little bit different than what we've ever done. And we're gonna do it together this morning. Here's some truisms. Passion without purpose equals distraction. Some people um, have tons of passion, but they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And they're basically um, look like they have ADD. You know, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I just got three shots of espresso, and I'm all over the place, and that's passion without purpose. Then there's purpose without passion. Purpose without passion equals delay. And if I may say so, from my experience in Christendom, most. Churches fall in this. They kind of know what we're supposed to do, but there's not necessarily passion. And it's delay and delay. Here's another one. Purpose with passion equals progress. Purpose with passion equals progress. We're starting to get there a little bit. Things are starting to happen However, here's the last one. Purpose, passion, and prayer equals power. Power. So you may ask, why are we doing this series? Here's our basic objectives. Number one, we need to know our purpose. And we've all got to be together on it. Why do we exist as a church? Why are we here? Why do I put money in this plate? Why do I take an hour and a half on Sunday morning when I could be out there with my line in the water or my boat in the water? Why am I here? We need to know our purpose. Number two, we need to protect our purpose because there's a lot of competition out there. There's a lot of people going, trying to say, you know what? I've got a great purpose for you. Why don't you do my purpose? There's TV commercials trying to get you to link up with their purpose. There's a whole lot of social things saying, you know what, we want you to connect with our purpose. There are plenty of pseudo purposes out there for us all, and we need to know our purpose. We need to protect it. Number three, we need to be passionate about it. This is what this series is going to be. We need to realize that God has called us to the most incredible, the most exhilarating, The most rewarding and fulfilling purpose ever known to mankind. God didn't call you to just drudgery. God called you to something that you will not not find a better purpose for ever, anywhere. And be passionate about it. And then number four, we need to link arms to pray about it. Because we can't do it. God needs to be in it all the way. So let's do a little survey together. Um, your sheet here that you have on the bottom of the connection um, portion here you filled out the one side with your name and whatever um, on the back, I really want to get a sense from you about what's what you think are significant challenges for people and churches struggling with purpose. I'm going to tell you the um, results next week when we get together. But here on the survey, um, I want you to give numbers one to five. One, this is the thing I think is the most important challenge for why churches or people struggle with purpose. That's the number one. And then all the way down to the least important being number five. So I want you to mark one, two, three, four, five in in these, I hope you're figuring out because I may not be given the best directions. So for example, if you think that the number one reason why people struggle or churches struggle with purpose is we have passion for things other than our true purpose, mark that as number one. And if you think number, f- we think small and don't imagine God can do what God can do in the purpose. If that's number two, mark that number two, just one through five, what you think is the most significant and the least significant reason why people and churches struggle with purpose. I'm just going to give you a moment. Fill that out if you would. And when you're done with that, tear it off. And on your way out, we will be collecting those from you. And we want to really gain as much of your input on this. And we will tell you the results next week of what you believe was significant about why people or churches struggle with purpose and staying on purpose. And um, thank you for your thought and consideration with that. Just make sure you tear it off on the way out. We'll collect those and we'll get your results next week. I want to ask you, please stick with us through this series. Stick with us all the way through. There's nothing more critical that we could be talking about these next weeks than this. I really believe that with all of my in every way. Would you stand with me for a moment? I want us to think about being committed. Being committed to learning this together. Being committed to something that's bigger than us. And really being passionate about the very things that God's passionate about. Would you pray with me for just a moment? Father God, Help us to be people of purpose. Not going through the motions or punching our clock. But knowing why we're here. Being passionate about it. And taking it with us into the world. To accomplish your purpose all around. We can't do it without you. We pray that you would bless us in these endeavors. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it goes without saying, obviously, God wants to be, he wants us to be people of purpose. That's what Jesus was. When Jesus came to earth and and he told these folks right up front, hey, I'm about my father's business. I can't do all this other stuff. And he was straight up when he said, I'm here to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus was on purpose. And the cool thing is his purpose, it's ours too. the same one. I normally finish with prayer, but I want us all to pray together. And um, I have a prayer that I would love for us to pray together. It's on your study guide. And if we can do this together and say this together and really mean it from our heart, God, this is what comes from here. And let's pray this together. If you need to look on your neighbor's card, do that. Let's say this prayer together. Father, help East Bay Calvary Church to be a church that is focused, passionate, and praying for the purpose you have given to us. Help us to make the main thing the main thing and to minimize the things that don't truly matter. May we pray, give, sacrifice for, and orbit around the reason for our church's existence. And in the end, may all the credit and honor belong to you. Amen. Amen. Blessings on your day. Keep that prayer with you. Turn in your cards on the way out. Sign up at the hub for all kinds of stuff. God bless you.